welcome to another episode of Sexuality And. This episode is focusing on uh, sex education, something I specifically did not pay attention to, but thank God for WebMD. And as also the lovely ladies next to me, Sarah and Katie, will be talking about their experiences, specifically Katie's experience at a really cool conference she went to. So keep on listening. The rest of the episode, we will also be taking a look at a piece of reading that we all read, which uh, approaches how we should be discussing gender and sexuality and navigating it appropriately for those who don't identify within the binary, which is most of us. So that was a really cool piece of reading. We have some little little gifties within the episode, little pieces of Easter egg surprises, uh, which is special stories from our listeners. Woo! Yay! Uh, regarding their sexual education experiences, which I feel super excited to listen to, and you should as well. Um. All right. So now we got our wine. Are we ready to talk about education? So can I tell you guys a little bit about this conference because I'm so hyped on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us about this conference. I just went to a conference for um, educators about sex, gender, and sexuality in the classroom, making more inclusive classrooms, making safer communities, and it was mind blowing. I mean, they covered so much. Um, it was also held in this beautiful mountain house in upstate New York that was, like, somewhere in between Twin Peaks, The Shining, and Hogwarts. Whoa. And it was just, like, a magical time. And, like, I wasn't sure if any of the wait staff was, like, real or ghosts. But, like, the, <laughs> the sessions were fabulous. That's, like, um, how I navigate my daily life. Right. You're, like, you're not <laughs> sure if the people you're interacting with are real or ghosts. It's a common thing. There's a lot of ghosts here. Um, but... It was kind of broken down into two sections, and one one was about just gender and sexuality diversity in students, so understanding identity of students and of everyone else, and, you know, faculty and teachers, and just, just people in general, really understanding the nuances of identity. And they talked a lot about how this kind of work is really essential to understand people's identity. You know, you can have a gay-straight alliance at your school, or you can have an LGBT, LGBT community at your school, but if you don't talk about everyone's identity, not everyone's represented, and mm-hmm. ev- everyone brings, like, a sexual identity to the table. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was, like, you know, I think this is pretty pertinent to our current times, but even if you are not getting bullied or oppressed... If you are in a bullying or oppressive environment, like, you could be next. Yeah. So that's why it's essential to, like, make as inclusive of rules and of standards at schools as possible. Um, So we talked a lot about just the different spectra of identity, uh, and it it was really illuminating and great. And then there was a portion about how you actually teach a sex ed curriculum to a school, not just, like, starting in sixth grade, but, like, pre-K through motherfucking 12. And it was the most useful, most sensical, like, it made so much pedagogical sense that, like, you know, it it seemed like such a radical idea. Like, the woman who was presenting this was just this, like, 70s, like, women's lib, like, (laughs) tiny Jewish woman who was like, my son's a lawyer, I do sex education. Like, like she definitely had hair down to her butt in the 70s and, like, didn't wear a bra, and now she's, like, carrying that with her. Um, 
so it seems so radical at first, like, how do you teach sex ed to, like, a kindergartner, yeah. and why would you do that? But it, it just makes so much sense. Like, you, you know, I, I will have a lot more to say about it, but, like, I think the most salient analogy is, like, you wouldn't just go into a fifth grade classroom never having taught kids math before, and be like, hey, uh, so we're going to learn about long division today. Yeah. Who's got questions about <clears throat> long division? Put them in this anonymous box. <laughs> High schoolers grow up with a misconception, like uh, females grow up with a misconception that like what their vulva is. They don't know about the urethra and the vagina. They don't know what the word vulva is. They don't is. know what the word vulva <laughs> is. Like, if you are not taught your correct anatomical body parts, like, <clears throat> even if someone teaches you that in sixth grade, you are going to carry your misconceptions that you had before that yeah. with you to the end. Well, I didn't know what a taint was until I was 22. Right? It's like... I literally had the guy I was dating show me his taints because I did not understand what it was. Yeah. I know, and it's like you learn about every other part of your body. I have yeah. fingers and toes and, yeah. you know, uh, and, um, like, why don't you just learn the appropriate anatomical terms for every part of your body? And, like, when you learn that, you also understand, you know, what it means to be intersex, what it means to, um, you know, have a, be, have a body with a vagina, but have, mm -hmm. like, a Y chromosome. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you just better understand these underlying like the underlying biological sex that you may be assigned or someone else may be assigned mm -hmm. and i mean it, like you said it's it's something that we use <clears throat> it's something that really shapes every other form of education that we do this idea of scaffolding and building from grade to grade and building on the knowledge that we already have and and that's hard to do with sex education because it is. It's thrown in at this random point. Um, they're all, like, you get a dose of, you get the puberty talk in fifth grade where you're right. all separated. Um, and then you don't get anything again for a few years. There's no building on, like, there's no real building on that knowledge. You have to keep right. addressing it mm -hmm. and you have to reiterate and you have to, to, to continue to build on the knowledge. And, right. and people, as you mentioned, people are really scared of sex yeah. ed in in K through 12. And I, I experience this too. When I tell people like, I want to get K, K through 12 comprehensive sex ed and totally. people who are, who are, who are very liberal, who believe in, who I know believe in the idea are like, Ooh, but like not that young. And yeah. I'm like, you have, we have to just, I have to start use different, using different language, I think, but it's frustrating that, that we have to right. choose different language and that's what this is. And, and comprehensive right. sex education is about social and emotional learning and, yeah. and relationships and being able to communicate clearly with with right. the partner, with your partner, but also like with your friend. Like yeah, there, right. are, there are so many useful pieces of that that aren't just important for sex education, um, or for like having right. a healthy sex life. It's just like having a like fulfilling life in general. It's important to know a lot of the concepts that that are left out in school and only really addressed with comprehensive sex education. When I first started teaching sexuality education, I had a student who, for the purpose of this story, I will call Jose. And Jose came up to me after class, and he said, Miss, I have a question. I said, okay. He said, well, it's not my question. It's a friend's question. I said, okay. He said, no, seriously, it's a friend's question. I said, all right, man, it's a friend's question. That's cool. I'm a teacher. I'll happily answer the question, and then hopefully you'll pass the answer along because, you know what, I bet you are a really good friend. He said, yeah. Yeah, I am a really good friend. I said, awesome. So what's your friend's question? He said, all right. So let's say that 
a person has started to get the pubic hair. And he whispered it, kind of like some people would whisper gay or cancer or black in certain situations. They've started to get the pubic hair, but the penis is still really small. What is the deal? And took a breath. I said, all right, well, how tall is your friend? He said, I don't know, roughly my size. I said, okay, so I don't mean you any offense by this, but you and I are both pretty short people. He said, yeah. I said, okay, well, the difference between us is that you haven't hit your growth spurt yet, so you are probably going to grow quite a bit. He said, yeah, hopefully my dad's really tall. I said, all right, well, so as the body grows, everything grows. He was like, everything? Yeah, everything. Our bodies are really proportional. He's like, D- do you promise? I said, well, I can't like promise, but scientifically it would, it would pretty much be a guarantee. So he stuck out his hand and he said, all right, I'll let my friend know. A big thing that this woman, Deb Rothman, was talking about was really addressing age appropriateness and how kids are naturally curious and they, they know more than we think, uh, we think they do. And we are the ones who get freaked out when like a four-year-old asks, you know, where do babies come from? Because we, we think that they're asking for the sex talk where we talk about like intercourse and, but it's really like, this is a question about geography, like their developmental age suggests that they're asking a question about geography. If they were like, where do avocados come from? You would tell them the (laughs) geographical place where it came from. Or like, how does a baby get out of a woman's uterus? Again, it's just like, that's a question about transportation. Like, and we, we answer them with such shrouded, like afraid, you know, such a tense tone that it makes them tense about it. And part of it is just understanding what the student is asking you um, and, and being able to answer that in an age-appropriate way. And, you know, when, when fourth, fifth, sixth graders start asking, uh, why does it feel good when you have sex? How can the penis join the vagina if the female wears clothes? Why is the ball sack wrinkly? What is cum? Like, kids have these questions. I'm sorry we're living in this age. But these questions are distilled down to, like, broader questions of can I trust you Mm -hmm. what is true we are the ones who put this shame on students when they're Mm -hmm. asking these really important questions for themselves so it's all about age appropriateness and practicing that language and being comfortable and and understanding what the student is asking you at an age appropriate level Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's the first piece of advice I give to, like, parents or to anyone else who, when they're, when they're really nervous about these questions, it's just answer the question. Like, answer the exact question that was asked to you and allow them to ask more questions if they need more clarification because they will. Like, they're curious, especially if it's your child, like, you know them well enough Mm -hmm. to, if, if you truly think your child is too shut. But the fact that they're already asking you the question indicates that they're, that they feel comfortable asking and that they, they probably you know, they, they heard it somewhere. They might already have a negative association mm-hmm. with it. They might just be confused, you know. So answering the question, I love that, framing them as, geography, that, as a geography question yeah, or a transportation yeah. question. That's, 
it's such a great way to, to look yeah. at them. Or like if a six-year-old is asking you, how did I get here? It's, it's more of an existential question than like, did daddy put his penis in mom's vagina yeah. and fucked? Mm-hmm. Like they're not, <laughs> we put that on them. You yeah. know, that's, uh, yeah, they, they don't put that on themselves. And the same goes for stuff. I think people, you know, people are like, well, what will I tell my children if, like, they have a gay teacher or, like, with, with sexual identity and stuff, yeah. not just about, like, intercourse, but people, yeah, we have assigned meaning to that. Like, how will I explain that my, that this child in my student's class is trans? It's like, the, the kids understand it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, it's he the just wants to be that, a girl or something. Like, like, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, how you feel comfortable in this way and and what if you didn't feel comfortable doing like yeah. you know what might you want to do about that mm-hmm. that kind of thing there's there's also a great I'll see if I can track it down and link to it there's a great like YouTube video of like this like I want to say he's like six or seven um and he's in like this perfect place for learning new information he's like so you can see him like sorting the information into the boxes he already has in his head uh-huh. so he's like okay you're my uncle but like who is this man and like this man is my husband but you're two boys. Yes, but we love each other. Isn't that what marriage is about? Yes. Okay, can I go play with my toys now? And like, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Because, because, like, you know, you just tell that they, they're categories, categorizing everything into their own boxes. And if you give them permission to put things in, in the boxes that, that they go into, if you yeah. allow them to, to categorize things um, in, like, a respectful way and in an in a accessible way, then they'll get there. Yeah. One of, one of the most, one of the biggest things we took away for those parents that, like, could be squeamish about, you know, students learning this stuff, and, and their argument is always the same. It's like, well, if my student learns about this, something bad will happen. Nothing bad is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, frankly, in this day and age, it's between you and the school or the internet. So, like, mm-hmm. where do you want your students getting this information, which I thought was just such a, you know, and you can't argue against that point. It's so, yeah, it's such a strong point. And there's also a ton of research that supports it. And I think one of the things we always do is remind, remind parents that, that we have the same goal in mind. Their goal is the health and safety of these students. Like that is the number mm-hmm. one goal, and we are both on the same page there. Right. Um, and we have, and we have research and and non alternative facts to back <laughs> up. <laughs> yes, girl. To back up the fact that this information is important. They need it. That comprehensive um, sex education is far more effective than abstinence education, and that students, when given information on how to keep themselves healthy and safe, they take that information and run with it. Yeah. They kids who get abs per sorry kids who get comprehensive sex education have sex later. They yeah. delay yeah. the sex. Yeah. They manage. They they like delay it until they know they can manage the risk. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think, and it's, and it is hard to communicate those things and sometimes it does take, take facts and, you know, reminding people, but it is, and certainly reminding people of the treasury of the internet already has plenty of stories about that. I love the internet. (laughs) So my sex education story is that I went to a Catholic school and in seventh grade, a woman who I babysat for was our abstinence only training teacher. At the top of her lesson, she handed out square packages that were those um, little gift boxes thing. You know what I'm talking about, like green, shiny paper with the gold little ribbon around it. 
And she told everyone not to open the box because it represented our sexuality. And by the end of class, I had unwrapped mine because I wanted to see what it was made out of. Turns out the shit was just a square thing of white styrofoam, so it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Another tactic used in my abstinence-only class training was that we all gathered in one big room, the entire seventh grade class, and she said that she needed one female volunteer and one male volunteer. All three of them, including the um, teacher, left the room, and when we got back, we realized that we were reenacting a wedding, and so the girl walked up the aisle, and she had seven men, seven seventh grade boys behind her, and the male was just standing up there all alone, and the teacher told the class that the bride had had seven sexual partners, and the groom was pure, and he had zero. But she took all of her sexual partners up the aisle with her before God and before all of her guests. Ugh, bitch, please. One final story from abstinence-only training. Our teacher gave us each about five inches of clear packing tape, and she instructed all of us to stick this tape on our forearm. Then she had us rip it off. So if you can imagine an entire class just like screaming in agony because packing tape is sticky. So anyways, then she had us hold this packing tape up to the light so that we could view the hair and dead skin attached to it. And she said, when you first place that packing tape on your arm, that was your first sexual experience. Now for those of you that pulled it off, that means that you did not stay with your first sexual partner. And then she had us put the packing tape back on our arm. And she said, this represents your sex second sexual experience. Notice how the packing tape doesn't stick. This means that your relationship won't last as long as the first one. And then she continued to say that for every time we had sex with a new partner, our packing tape would become less sticky and more corroded with dead skin and hair. And then by the end of it, our sexuality would be so dirty because we had slept around. I mean, in so many words. I'm curious to know, so because you're, so you teach science. Yeah. Um, and how, how you're going to take like the information that you learned at this conference, like into yeah. your science classroom mm. and a classroom that like doesn't necessarily have anything to do with sex ed. So actually that one part of the conference was where we get to, we are, where we suggested the topics that we wanted to talk about and then people who were also interested in that topic could come and congregate. Um, just because, you know, I mean, I was having the best conversations from the minute I got there until, like, the minute we all stepped off the bus at Port Authority. Like, <laughs> it, I, it was remarkable. But so this particular uh, conversation that I had, um, I suggested, like, how do we include this kind of dialogue in something like a math or science curriculum? It's very easy to bring up identity in subjects like history and English, where you have a little more leeway with the media you read and the movement, the social movements that you can get behind. Um, and we, uh, we watched this video from Microsoft in the very beginning that asked young girls to name inventors and scientists and they all named male scientists, and then they're like, what about a, a woman inventor? And every one of these young girls who's so interested in science just drew a blank. So um, 
a lot of what we talk talked about was just bringing up, um, just just having more inclusion in the scientists and figures that yeah. are represented because there's no shortage of these no. people. It's just the classics that we stick with that that seem to be the most resonant. So mm-hmm. really making a good faith effort to um, to bring in different voices, which I'm I'm making a good faith effort to do. I bring in all of my friends who are scientists into the classroom just to show them that a scientist can be gay, a scientist can be a woman, a scientist can be black, a scientist can be young, like, um, which I am already very committed to. Um, the math department at our school actually is doing something interesting where, you know, when they work with statistics, they're not just pulling statistics from the book anymore. They're getting like real data about, you know, what it means to be impoverished and like the nutrition you get, like, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, we're working with more relevant real data in the, in these areas. Um, another thing that we talked about was like, gender bias in the classroom, which is a huge problem in math and science. Mm -hmm. Uh, Girls will uh, assign themselves the badge of not being good at math or science and kind of wear it with pride. Um, (laughs) I am raising my hand. Yeah, Sarah's raising her hand and, and like, you know, just being okay with, I'm not good at math. Oh, I'm so bad at this. Undermining themselves. It's like that scene in Mean Girls. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. The one where she keeps, well, she, it's the, like an ongoing thing. She keeps trying to be bad at math to yeah. get a boy to tutor her. And then mm-hmm. she's actually like, I'm really good at math. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, what? You know, going off of research that talks about like what kind of inherent motivations girls have to learn and working with that. Um, at Teachers College, where I'm a grad student, I, um, there was this lecture by this guy who does some really incredible research, Nathan Holbert who did a project um, with Makerspaces. Makerspaces, if you're not familiar, it's very popular in STEM education right now. It's basically like an engineering tinkering space where you can make and build and use circuitry and robotics to kind of dream up what you want to dream up. And it is very, very boy-centric. Very boy-centric. Just the data across the board suggests Boys are the ones who use makers, public makerspaces. They're the ones who buy the kits. It's the ones on the magazine, like Wired magazine or whatever. And this guy, uh, Professor Holbert, wanted to find out like why that was. So he did a project with um, a group of fourth or fifth grade girls from like a Harlem public school, where he tasked them. He split them up into teams and tasked them with going into a kindergarten classroom and interviewing their kindergarten clients on what the the most fun toy would be. And these girls took notes and they kind of dreamt up later what that would look like. And then they set forth making this toy. There were a few boys in these groups, but for the most part, it was like a girls after school group. The girls, you know, they learned the 3D printing, they learned 3D modeling, they learned how to design things on the computer, they learned how to use different tools and laser cutting and, uh, you know, all of these really usually difficult and uninteresting math, science, and engineering topics. These girls learned it because they wanted to create this toy for these kindergartens, their, mm-hmm. their clients, right, that they, like, built this relationship with. And this professor gave the students afterwards a questionnaire of if you had to 
do something li like this again, would you design a toy for yourself or would you design a toy for someone else? And the boys unanimously voted that they would design something for themselves. And the girls in the group, like the majority, the vast majority was that they would design something for someone else. So looking at those inherent motivations for students to learn something is really important than, say, just like making a pink Lego set, which mm -hmm. is so superficial. It's important, like design and colors are important. Um, but, you know, we talked a lot about like really trying to find out what's motivating these gender biases mm -hmm. and how we can we can combat that. So I'm thinking a lot about that. Um, I don't really teach the human body. There are a lot of science teachers there who like teach anatomy and again, you know, we'll go over the musculature system, mm -hmm. the skeletal system, you know, your, your blood, your um, arteries. But like when it comes to the reproductive system, it's just like, for some reason there's this shift that you're like, Oh, you're, you know, yeah. clutching your pearls because what if, you know, what if something bad happens? Yeah. So it's, it's tough. I think I, I love there's also the uh, the Goldie Blocks. Have you heard of those? Yes. Oh yeah, That's the girls a, that I babysit have Goldie Blocks toys. And it's a similar idea and, and thinking about the what motivates people to learn and those come along with the story cuz like cuz younger girls tend to be more like story and mm -hmm. character driven and like and yes. and so and they want a story to and I think yeah. kind of the same thing. They want to know who they're designing for, right? Like yeah. both the interviewing their their kindergarten client, like I think a similar idea. But yeah, motive yeah. like figuring out what it is that will actually help get girls into this pipeline that has been traditionally for only boys. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's hard. My Also, on the anatomy note, I just found out that my grandmother, who graduated from medical school in the 1950s, she was like, obviously, there was like one woman and one black person in her class, um, and then all these white dudes, and I just found out that she did not learn about reproductive anatomy until she got to medical school. Whoa! And, oh I'm, and obviously this is 1940s, 1950s, but still, like, did, like, went through bio, was in, like, all of the highest level, like, science yeah. classes she could be in, went to college, and did not learn reproductive anatomy until she got to That's medical school. That's so insane. It is a part of your body. It's a Also dealing with right now, um, the, the sex ed curriculum that I work with has uh, posters of internal anatomy and external anatomy to label during class, uh, and people are upset, not about the male external anatomy, but that we show the female external anatomy. <gasps> Boobs? No, they're like they're they they don't have any problem with the uterus and stuff. But like when you show a vulva, they are like inappropriate. That's crazy. And I'm like, do you know that half of a class can look down and see that? Yeah. Similarly to how like sexism and misogyny ultimately hurts men, mm -hmm. like yeah, and how um, oppression of minorities and racism like ultimately hurts white folks, like how men need to examine their sexism and how white folks need to examine like their whiteness and their their race their inherent systemic racism, like straight folks need to spend some time with their identity mm -hmm. because when you're not living in an inclusive world, again, you could be next mm -hmm. for a completely different reason. Yeah. Yep. That's, like, one thing that I do. I get, like, talking to people all the time, and when you bring up, like, and sometimes you go, like, well, I don't have pronouns, and it's like, we do. Like, you know, like, 
go back to English 101, like, we all have pronouns. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, ju- and in the same way, we all, like, you, you may not care what they are, like, yeah. to you, but, like, because it is part of the dominant culture, mm-hmm. and it's the same yeah. with sexual identity and same with gender, like, yeah. it's all these things that, I think, especially with sexual identity, though, people are like, sexual identity, gay, and it's like, no, yeah, that's right. like, like, that falls, it's everyone, everyone has a sexuality. people, right, would like to admit, even exactly. to themselves. There's, like, you know, your bio, your biological sex, like, what you're assigned at birth mm-hmm. as a baby, what your genitals, like, in general say, say that you are. Yeah. Chromosomes. Um, there's gender identity, which is if you identify as a man or a woman or you're genderqueer or you're beyond. There's gender expression, where you're stereotypically masculine or stereotypically fem- feminine. You can also be gender fluid. Um there's your attraction and sexual orientation, which includes, like, who you're attracted to, your level mm-hmm. of attraction. Um, there's your degree of sexual arousal. And Ooh. there's your sexual behavior. And then, like, at the end, how you choose to identify. Yeah. Oh, uh, and this. they're all they're all a line where you could place yourself exactly where you need to, which is so... It, I mean, it works. For, it's kind of unwieldy, especially when you're like, I'm a gay female. You know... It's unwieldy for some, but it includes everyone. Yeah. Center Center for Gender Sanity. Is that what it's from? That's, yeah, that's what they call it. The Center for Gender Sanity. Oh my I gosh. This is amazing. Cause I, so I've seen this in all different forms. This um this like this spectrum and everything like that. I, I've seen it in a lot of different ways. And and that's the thing about these topics too, is that it changes all the time. It's really hard to stay on top of all of this yeah. for the lay person, for really, like, anyone. Um, and so, and I mean, and this is fantastic to see, and, and I love it. It's kind of combining, like, Kinsey scale and behavior scale right. and also gender spectrum all yeah. in one uh, in one image, which I really like. Um, and um, the woman, Jennifer Bryan, who presented this also made the point that, like, you know, if if a boy chooses to wear a dress, a lot of people will say, like, oh, he's wearing a dress, he's gay. Mm-hmm. But that's actually kind of an illegal spectrum jump, right? Yeah. Like, he, like, he's identifying as a boy, he thinks dresses are comfortable and look good, mm-hmm. he's presenting a little feminine. Which he's not wrong. Does, he is not wrong. Not wrong. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm like... Katie is stretching right now in a dress. Yeah, it's great. Um, Woo! Uh, But that has nothing... That that has no connection to his attraction or orientation. So I just thought that was a really great way to break it... Break down some of the reductiveness that we have. Well, and I love that framing that as an illegal spectrum jump. That's Isn't that good? Illegal. Yeah. I love it. Like, yeah, you don't get to. That is not what you get to say. Like, that is not a thing for you to decide. Yeah. And, and and that's how we start conflating those. That's how we start conflating like stuff like gender expression and sexual identity. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's that is right where it starts. Mm-hmm. Book club. Book club. Book club. Yeah, we'll just, There's an ending somewhere. This, there. Yeah, this is our seamless yeah. transition into book club. Book club. Yeah, we'll find. Should we do, like, noises of, like, books falling from the sky? <laughs> um, yeah, I loved this a lot. Uh, after reading this, I also got in, like, a small argument with, like, a slight stranger. Ooh. <laughs> tell us about it. Um, well, maybe, tell us what we read first. Yeah. So, I'm forgetting the piece of... It's <laughs> called Purportedly Gendered yes. Body Parts mm-hmm. by Dean Spade. And... 
So what I really liked about it is that it navigates the way of how we speak about gender and how to be uh, like sensitive and empathetic when speaking about a person and uh, separate from like their identity separate from their physicality, right? Yeah. So separate from their parts that they're born with or not born with because maybe they went through a transition. So it's like it's like you know your body parts are not um, are not what label you, right? You. You are your psychosis you is like more like yeah, you label you, which is great because it gives you it gives people more agency in how they speak how and, I, and how we speak about their bodies. It gives them more agency. So what I, I got in this little tiff, uh, um, this person um, was saying that it is unfair for a trans woman to be to be considered. I mean, like, they, yeah, for sure, they understand it, but there's this, like, important piece of womanhood they're missing, which is having a period. And, and that, and, like, they feel like it's unfair because they can, like, grow up as a, like, quote-unquote man and have all the, uh, all the benefits of manhood growing up, then be a woman, and they don't have this very, like, what's often painful, confusing experience of menstruation. They have no... Painful conditions. No, 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 no. They're painful. Yeah, exactly. So then I was trying to be like, well, you have to understand that we don't understand their experience, right? Because like, to take that step to transition, especially in today's world, even though it's a lot better than previous years, it's still a very dangerous step mm -hmm. to take. And we don't know what's going on with them. But this person was like, okay, but like also separate from that, like there's this whole thing missing where it's like your period, like your menstrual, like it's this thing that like connects. And it's like. But why, why do the, why does this person care? Like, it, it just is this constant rehashing of, like, when a person transitions, mm -hmm. it's seen as such a transgression for who's ever criticizing it mm -hmm. more than them transitioning itself. Yeah. yeah. It's just, like, this, how, like, why do you care? Why do you need your stamp of approval mm -hmm. on this? And... Why do you get to make up the rules about what it takes to be a woman or a man? And then also another thing that I was, and kind of like an argument of like, okay, so let's say I see what you mean in this thing. So all of a sudden, my mom's going through menopause, so she's not a woman anymore. Or I know people who've had mm -hmm. to have hysterectomies. It's like a, like they're not a woman anymore. Like you, it's not a card, you know. Right. right. It's it's not like you check off. It's just like it. It, and then also, like, you know, the, the whole other story of being, like, a trans man with a period. Like, yeah. who menstruates. Yeah. Like, we can't let body parts dictate identity. And I think that's... I think this piece of writing is, like, specifically what reinforced that idea that I've been feeling pretty strongly. And it's, like, nice to see it, like, laid out in, like, a well-written essay instead of me, like, half-drunk being like, Well, your body's different from your brain! <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this coming out after the women's march as well mm -hmm. because with all the pussy hats and yeah. the g pussy grabs back and everything yeah. which I do there's certainly some of me that is like yeah and yeah. especially like with the pussy thing like that is a direct quote exactly, like that yeah. comes straight and and I think there is a way to do it I trans women can have pussies trans men can have pussies like like it's it's all I, I don't think that that is necessarily linked to um, has, has to necessarily be linked to, to gender identity, but I do, but there was, there was this whole, this whole backlash against, uh, against equating womanhood and, um, 
to to body parts yeah. and, and a like completely valid one and I think um that certainly it's um it makes it really hard when when well I think about so like I don't identify with my period being like no, neither do a I. thing of my you know like and I, I talk to my friends and after a long time I have realized that like I don't have a bad period like I've talked to my friends and I'm like I get cramps like maybe every three months it's like literally just something that mm-hmm. I deal with for four days a month for four days every 35 days because I'm very lucky and what have a long cycle. What the fuck? Damn. <laughs> my, period, my period is like, is like the, is like a World War Five. Well, this, <laughs> exactly. And this one from the future. <laughs> you wouldn't even believe the shit that goes down there. Oh my god. It's, it's like, claw, it's like, I feel like a coin slot. There's like clocks the size of like nickels and quarters <laughs> coming out of me. It's like, cha-ching, you're not pregnant. I'm like, I know I haven't had sex in months, but like, Damn. I was in eighth grade and my friend and I were going to math class with Mr. Jordan and my friend was sitting down at her desk and getting her book out and everything and somehow she spilled out the contents of her bag, including some tampons, which is just so embarrassing when you're in eighth grade. And this boy in class started making fun of her, saying like, ew, tampons, and and she was telling him to shut up. And our teacher, who was in his 60s, I believe, came over to us and we had no idea like what he was going to do. He gestured to my friend for one of the tampons and she gave it to him. Everyone was giggling and then he proceeded to taunt the little jerk boy with the tampon, putting it in his face and saying like, what's the problem? It's like an unopened band-aid. Are you scared of an unopened band-aid? You need to grow up. And all the attention was taken off my friend and, and put on this boy and he was so embarrassed. And uh, that is why Mr. Jordan was the best inadvertent sex ed teacher ever. No, I'm not going to go there. Because um, I know my ex listens to this podcast. Well, actually, he actually probably wouldn't care. Um, like, I mean, I think about, I remember one time when I was, I had a trans partner and I was talking to... Um, I was trying to talk to my mom once and try and, like, talk to her about, um, oh, no, what we were doing was trying to, uh, warn my grandparents when they came down to my all-women's college graduation that my boyfriend was also graduating. Um, and so trying to, like, figure out how we'd explain that to them. Um, and so I mentioned that in, like, the email that I was writing to my grandparents that something about, um, about him being female-bodied, and he was like that's not really how I feel. Like, that's not, that's not me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm on testosterone, and, and I am a man, and this is my body. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, like, that, like, my bad. Like, I, that, that was something that never, that never even occurred to me. Like, I thought female-bodied was such, like, a progressive, inclusive way of talking about a person who has a uterus. Uh, when I really could just talk about a person who has a uterus. Yeah. Or or a person who has a vagina. It's much more concrete that way, too. Just, you know, for medical purposes, for being, for just specificity, like, it encapsulates so much more accurately what a person has or is rather than female body. That's such a, that's such a, like, uh, umbrella term. Yeah. That can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. Especially when you throw, like, being, um, uh, especially when you throw, uh, God, I can't even remember, it's, I think it's DSD now, but... 
it, especially when you throw intersex people into it, because yeah. like there are people who are assigned female at birth mm-hmm. and they are female, and like a female body, like doesn't saying something is saying they are female bodied, like may not necessarily exactly. It's not it's not specific. Yeah, I rem- I also remember the first time that pronouns were introduced to me, and my um my roommate freshman year of college was taking uh women's studies one hundred one, and I was not. I, like, did not realize that I wanted to be a women's studies major until I was a junior, and did not take any women's studies classes until I was a junior. Wow. And she came to back to our room and was like, I just learned about pronouns and it blew my mind. Like, people, like, she explained yeah. Z and here to me, and I was like, that is bull-. Like, I vividly remember being like, that is bullshit. I do not understand any of that. That's crazy. Aren't you from Upstate Mass? <laughs> yeah, I'm from, yeah, I'm from Western oh, Mass. Western Mass, yeah, because I, w- I did a couple of shows at Western Mass, and every fucking person was they, and everyone was in an open relationship. And I was just like, well, who's... Well, this was recently. Yeah, that's true. We're that's old true. already. Yeah, We're getting true. old. That's true. That's true. I've, I've, <laughs> aged, I've aged my co-host. For those listening, still 16. <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's Podcast is illegal. That, um... It's just, it's, like, interesting that your knee-jerk reaction was to be like, this is bullshit. Yeah. When it literally doesn't affect you if you don't want it to. Exactly. You know? And and I think that's most people's issue with it is they have this knee-jerk reaction of like, that's not what I know and that's not what I'm comfortable with. Ah, it's terrible. And it's just like, calm down yeah, for a few seconds out. and maybe think how this might affect the other person yeah. more than you. And that's basically what she yeah. said to me. She was like, like, you're very comfortable with people using she and her and being a girl, but like, what if you weren't? Yeah. And I was like, all right, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And, like, I didn't really explore it again for, like, two more years. But, like, I, I mean, I vividly remember that yeah. situation where, where I was this transphobic asshole and was like, no! Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to use pronouns that don't sound like the ones I've heard I all know, my right. life. Well, it goes back to the argument that I had with this girl that, like, she feels like someone's encroaching on her space when it's really, like, step out of your ego and step out of your head and realize, like, the empathy and, and, and the effort of you taking that step to, like, use that language to make someone else feel comfortable is not encroaching on your space as much as you... If your period is your womanhood, go for it, dude. But, like, don't mm-hmm. assign that to everyone else's... Like, don't take away everyone else's agency and yeah. in their identity and how they navigate their lives. Like, don't be so fucking judgmental. Take that tampon out your ass! Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or a diva cup. I don't know how big the... Some people's holes are more stretched out. Uh, yeah, it's muscles. It's muscles. I have a friend who uses they, them pronouns, and they were talking to me, like, kind of bitching me once, and, and they were like, you know, like, I, one of the ways I really make it hit home for people is that, like, if you misgender a dog, they will, like, the owner will jump down your throat, and the other person <laughs> feels so embarrassed. They're like, oh my god, I'm so sorry I misgendered your dog. But then they were like, when people misgender me, they, like, question me on it. Like, when I say you just misgendered me... They don't react the same way that if I said you just wow. misgendered that dog. Wow. And I was like, yeah. Well, I mean, if people had any sort of empathy towards others as they have towards their dog, <laughs> right. the world would be a much better place. It's true. But yeah. to think about that, there also there are other things. Like, if you ever have a problem with my they, them pronouns, just, like, think that you're always talking about me and my cat. <sighs> I was like, that is great. That's amazing. my one friend who lives. <laughs> That's a great tool. That's my, amazing. My one really good friend, uh, the when I was in Western Mass, we were talking, and then I just asked her, like, oh, do you, they were, like, talking about one of their friends, and I was like, do you say, like, they, them for, like, everyone? Is, or is, like, everyone gender queer? And, and she was just like, 
I just use they, them for everyone. Because who's going to get offended if you say they, them? Like, are you so offended that you're not, like, recognizing my female or maleness? Like, they, them. She uses it for everyone. And it was, like, really, really cool. It was, like, very casual. Like, I, it was after, like, spending two days in a row with her. And then I was just, like, I just want to ask, like, I'm, I'm not judging yeah. anyone who's, like, in her community. Because everyone is genderqueer in that community. So I was like, wow, there's so many genderqueer people in there. And she was like, oh, no, she's a girl. It's just, like, it's just easier for me to just stick to saying yeah. they, them for everyone. And so I've adopted that as well. I mean, I will, before shows, I'll message people and ask for their preferred pronouns because I'm introducing them mm-hmm. yeah. at a show of people who are probably not used to that language a lot of the times. But, like, now I will, like, catch myself saying they, them always. Yeah. Like, unless I for sure know... But if I first meet someone, I'm always like, oh, yeah, they, them. Yeah. <laughs> but I think even stuff, you know, and so, like, mm-hmm. while we're talking about language, even when we say, like, preferred pronoun, yeah. that, like, implies that, like... It's a preference. That it's, it's a, a preference, preference not something that needs to be respected. Yeah. Not just, like, a fact that it is. So then how would you ask? Because what I also don't want to be like... See, I, for some reason, and I'm just, like, this type of person as, like, abrasive as I sound... I feel like I don't want to, like... That sounds too aggressive. Yeah, I don't want to be like, <laughs> what are your pronouns, bitch? Like, stick them up. <laughs> fucking stick them up. Tell me your fucking pronouns. Like, I really don't want to sound that aggressive. What so pronouns that, like, do you use? Ooh, that's good. Okay. Because that's what I've softer. been struggling with. Because yeah. I'm like, preferred... De- I, I acknowledge that preferred sounds the way it does, but then I'm like, what are anything the else is like, I can... I just feel myself screaming, and nobody else will feel that way because I'm, like, faced with messaging it. Um, In... Not all caps, either. Yeah. Not all caps. There will be, like, a... Which is my default typing yeah. style. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Honestly, I do type in all caps a lot, so... But, yeah, that that's... Yeah. What are your pronouns? It is. In language, this is, this is one thing that I've seen especially... I don't have many conservative people left on my Facebook feed. I'm sure that's a shock R.I.P. to everyone. <laughs> um, I'm, like, looking at the stickers on your laptop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one time my cousin was like, Hey, Sarah... Do you care about women's rights? <laughs> There's literally a rainbow moose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got all my bases covered on my laptop. Um, but, so one of the things that I've been seeing that I've had a hard time with is, like, a, I have a very conservative friend who's by no means a Trump supporter, mm-hmm. but was not going to do anything to stop him kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and who, some a friend posted a status that said, hey, like, friends, what do you do about, what is your stance about addressing a group of people as you guys? What is your stance, and mm-hmm. what do you use um, as an alternative, especially if it's actually a group of predominantly women? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one thing. I mean, I say you guys for everyone. I always sure. have, yeah. and yeah. it's something that I'm slowly trying to correct. Um, but it was, she was just trying to start a, start a discussion on her Facebook, figure out if she should make the change herself. And, and my friend commented saying, like, you know, like, is it sexist that the romance languages all default to, to male? Like, shouldn't we be focusing our, our attention on bigger issues? And I didn't even get a chance to respond. Like, four other people just responded, yes, it's sexist. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of people, again, kind of going back to this idea of exploring, of really examining your identity and examining um, if, it's, if it's something that you've never thought about, maybe right. it's something to really think about for once yeah um and it's on it's on that same thing like if if language has always included you then there's no reason to then yeah sure you might see this kind of what looks like nitpicking over language you might seem trivial yeah Yeah. but language is really important Mm -hmm. and and it's 
it is how we communicate. Yes. Like, I, it's, it's so hard for me when people are like, oh, language, that's not important. It's like, then what is important? Like, if, yeah. if, if the words we use aren't, don't have value, then, yeah. like, what is anything? No, Guys, really check like it out. It. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, really clear it. up a lot of things for you. We'll no. definitely link to it. And it, yeah. It, Did I just was... say guys, check it out? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> God damn it, you yeah, learned check nothing. It out. See, it's not easy. Yeah. That's also the point. Yeah. Is that, like, this, this shit is, it's important. Yeah. It's not easy. But we gotta do it. And yeah. we gotta hold each other accountable. And there's, like, nothing wrong with making mistakes. And yeah. I think one of the things that I have a really hard time with is, is this idea that, you know, Controversial. I saw it a lot with Hillary Clinton, though, with, like, that that she, you know, said marriage is between a man or a woman, whatever bullshit she said yeah. back in the 90s. And people are like, she didn't correct it fast enough, she didn't, and, like, granted, sure, like, that may be true. Yeah. But also, like, don't we want people who, like, can recognize that they made mistakes, mm -hmm. say they're sorry for them, change it, yeah. and then, like, do the right thing. And I think that we don't leave a lot of room for people... Like on our day in our day to day lives yeah. on the grand scale, like that's that's just one example of the ways. But I just I just feel like that's not a thing we afford each other, and right. that that um, I think part of the way we've been socialized. I think we we take things pretty personally. We don't want to be wrong, like all these different yeah. things. Yeah. But like when if you like fuck up someone's pronouns or like catch yourself saying, "Oh shit, did I just say like yeah. whatever I didn't mean to say?" Like that's all you need to do to like, and that proves to the other person if they, like, felt offended in that moment or if you misgendered them in that moment and then five seconds later you're like, shit, did I just misgender you? I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, cool, you're trying. Yeah. Like, you're doing the work. Yeah. So. Okay! Thanks for listening to another episode of Sexuality and you can find us at sexualityand.com and you can find all the social media and all that stuff there. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. Only nice things, please! My self-esteem can't take any more. So guys, please subscribe, review, and we will see you soon. Hopefully. Yes. Hopefully the world doesn't end. We don't know yet. Okay, bye! <laughs>